Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Thank Jason and Vic for leading us. You can grab a seat. If you're new, we're studying through the book of Genesis in the Bible. You found the perfect time to connect with Two Cities Church because we're right at the beginning. We're actually on day two of creation today, and we're learning about the beginning. Now, what we're going to try to do today is answer some really simple, really small questions. But I found that these questions are actually very, very significant. Any parent out there, well, you probably remember this. If you think back to your childhood, you had some questions about the way that the world works. And so you went to the adults in your life. You went to mom and dad. You went to big mama. You went to some teachers at school. And you started asking a few questions. The elementary level mind needs to figure out how stuff works. So they start asking questions. And all of the parents in this room remember being super busy and there's stuff going on in your world. And then your four-year-old starts to ask questions and you got other stuff going on, but you want to give your four-year-old honest answers to honest questions. So you try to answer the first question, which leads to the second, which leads to the third. And now 12 hours later, they haven't stopped for a breath. They're still asking questions and you're at your wits end and you're saying, I just need a break. Well, I want to warn you, parents, don't blow off these questions because what you're really doing is helping your child see just how big this world is and more importantly, how big the creator of the world is. And if you're not careful, what you'll do is you'll start to make your world big in their eyes and it'll inevitably make the creator of this world a little bit smaller when you just start blowing off their questions. So I want you to think about it like this for a second. If you were to answer honestly to that four-year-old, why is water wet? It's going to lead to another question, which is even bigger and more important. And that's going to lead to another question. It's going to lead to another question. And then pretty soon you have a chance to start to shape their view of the universe. You start to shape the way that they see the world. So here's some of those constant questions that every adult, every parent gets asked from time to time. And these are really simple questions with a really significant answer. Like, why do our neighbor's skin color look different than ours? That's a really big question. Don't blow it off, mom or dad. When they ask questions like, what makes birds fly? They're not trying to get into the physics of flight. They're trying to figure out how the world works. When they ask you questions like, where did the dinosaurs go? That's a really important question. Or what about when they ask you, why do people die? What happens to you after you die? Your answers are huge. And then if you want to watch parents immediately start to sweat, bullets of sweat on their forehead, they start dancing around like they're on hot coals, and they answer the most stupid answer humanly possible. It's when a four-year-old asks mom and dad, where do babies come from? And then the nonsense that comes out of their mouth is absolutely maddening. But they're just trying to figure out how does the world work. By the way, parents, 
I helped work on a booklet years ago that will give you the very simple, easy answer to those human sexuality questions. If you want it, send me an email. I'd be happy to send it to you free of charge. Here's what I want you to know. Those little questions, the very simple questions of life, usually have the biggest answers, the most significant answers. And you can be an absolute atheist. You can be a total pagan. You can be completely on the other side of the faith spectrum of men and women of Christ. And every human being has to answer questions like, what is the meaning of life? And what is the origin of the universe? Where did it all come from? And those questions inevitably drive you back to the book of Genesis. They drive you back to Genesis chapter 1. And what we're going to do today with the second and the third day of creation is we're going to try to answer a child's question and answer it in a way that helps them see just how big, how humongous the creator of the world is when they, when they see just how beautiful, just how awesome this world is that we live in. And that's the way God's created it to be. So we're going to start where we left off. If you were with us last week, we covered day one of creation. And in the terms of colors, God created black and white last, or last week on day one of created creation. He created the light out of the darkness. And with no pre-existing materials, he just spoke into the darkness and light existed. Well, today, day two of creation, God creates another color. And this is the question that children have been asking for many centuries. Why is the sky blue? We're going to answer that question today. Actually, the Bible is going to answer that question today. And the Bible answers it on day two of creation. Day two of creation starts like this. Genesis chapter one, verse six. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters. Wait a second. Where did the waters come from? We're going to deal with that question in just a second. Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse. Apparently, this word expanse is pretty important. And he separated the waters under the expanse from the waters above the expanse. And all of us in this room right now are scratching our heads trying to figure out what on earth are you talking about right now? And it was so. And God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning, the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day. This was the second day of creation. Did you ever wonder, does it really take an entire day to do everything that we're reading about right here on day two? I mean, if you're an all-powerful God, if you have the ability to just create something out of nothing. If you can speak a word and poof, it comes into existence. It looks like this doesn't take an entire day to happen until you start to understand the language of the Bible. Because what the Bible is describing here is God is gathering together the waters and creating expanses. The gathering here is really, really important because what he's actually doing right now is what every cook in this room does. When you gather ingredients for dinner tonight, when you gather the ingredients to bake a cake, and sometimes gathering the ingredients and preparing the ingredients takes longer 
than baking the cake. When you're working on a car, you gather the parts, you gather all of the pieces that you need, then you assemble it together, and then you see this masterpiece come out of the oven. You see this masterpiece driving down the road. Well, God is gathering ingredients right now to create a masterpiece. And let's give the guy who writes this passage, his name is Moses, let's give Moses some credit for what he's doing right now. Because Moses is describing what no human being on earth has ever witnessed. None of us could even possibly understand. And he's trying to use human words to explain what human words can't explain. He's trying to describe the undescribable for us for just a second. He's saying God is gathering and he's gathering some waters and he's gathering an expanse above. Now the word expanse is a pretty fascinating word here. Because it's the kind of language of a blacksmith who's banging on metal in the shop and he's preparing the metal for something. But this word really means it's a vault. It's the blacksmith who creates this metal chest that you're going to put your treasure in. And this is going to become your family's greatest treasure. God is hammering away on the elements of the universe and he's creating this vault and he's going to separate the vault from above from the vault below. Sitting from our perspective, he's talking about the sky. And by the way, if you have an old King James Version, it talks about the firmament, the firmament, and then the firmament. The waters on earth, the waters above the earth, and then there's the sky beyond the waters above the earth. Obviously talking about our atmosphere and the universe. God separates it. He puts a barrier between our atmosphere and the rest of the universe, and he's gathering all of this stuff up, and he's preparing it. And I can't help but think people are sitting there wondering, like, why did it take God so long to do this? Well, when you understand what this is, you start to understand God is really gathering the ingredients to lay the foundations of the universe. That's what he's doing on day two. He's preparing the universe for what's going to happen in just a second on day three. And I think there are still a lot of people, even some of those scientists out there that look at the universe and start to think, hey, we are so advanced in the human race that we figured out some things. We're pretty smart now. But even to this day, 2023, the greatest minds on earth, all of human history has never been able to totally understand what God was doing just on day two alone. And I kind of want to remind those people that have this innate hope in humanity, this belief that human minds will be able to figure out the world's greatest problems. Listen, don't ever let our little view of the world diminish the big view of a big God who created the world. I mean, I want to remind them, do you realize that we didn't even know that there was a planet in the solar system called Neptune until 1846. It took us that long in human history to figure that out. We didn't know that there was a connection between time, space, and matter until a guy by the name of Einstein proposed this special theory of relativity in 1905. If you think that we're so smart, then let me remind you that we couldn't figure out a vaccine for the polio virus until Jonah Salk figured this out in 1952. And we believed that there were black holes out there, but we had no evidence of this, no proof of this, until we took the first picture of one 
back in 2019. But my favorite answer to people that have this huge trust in the human brain and will figure out all of the problems of the world, I like to tell them, do you know that from the beginning of human history, people have been migrating from one place to the next? We've been carrying everything we own on our backs and on our arms, and we weren't smart enough to put wheels on luggage until 1970. So if you're so convinced that we're that smart, you tell me why it took that long to put wheels on the first suitcase. And God is gathering together the ingredients, and God is creating something. By the way, because he's the creator... He also gets the right, we said this last week, to name it. It's his. He owns it. So the stuff that we see in the air, God called it what? Sky. God called this thing that he just created sky. And when your child asks the question, why is the sky blue? You can answer that question with one word. God. God is why the sky is blue. If they want to know why is it blue and not green, why is it not red? Well, the answer to that is because God. Don't ask me because I wasn't there when he made it, but he made it so that the sky is blue and not green. And he created these vaults to separate the universe from our atmosphere and our atmosphere from day three, the earth below it. If you were watching the news over the last couple of weeks, you cannot miss this meteorological phenomenon that happened in California that absolutely devastated parts of California. In fact, many people died as a result of flooding that just came out of nowhere. The news reports use this phrase, I've never heard it before, called atmospheric rivers. And I was trying to figure out what on earth is an atmospheric river? So I want you to imagine it. This is what the Big brain uh, scientists are saying that floating in the sky above you, just hanging out way up there in the sky is water. Not just a little bit of water, but tons of water. And when it rains, those many millions of tons of water flutter down from the sky and hit the earth. That's normal rainfall. Atmospheric rivers are huge storm fronts that are many, many, many kilometers long. And the series of atmospheric rivers, get this stat, that hit California were the equivalent of 15 times the volume of the Mississippi River, the entire Mississippi River, falling down to the sky and landing on top of you in a series of rainfalls. That's why there's mudslides. That's why there's millions of, billions of dollars of damage. That's why there's many people that were impacted by this. And the people that lived through those storms, and I wanna speak to you directly, felt like the sky is falling in around me and started to feel like the universe itself was against me. And the things got dark and maybe this is you this past week. Circumstances got difficult, and they started asking the question, God, are you still there? God, are you still in control? God, do you still care? Because it feels like the sky is falling in on top of my head right now. And what the Bible wants to remind you is even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working on your behalf. So Christian, let me remind you that even when it feels like the sky is falling in on your head, even then, you still are in the palm of God's hand. 
Even then, he promises you, I'll never let anything happen to you that's outside of my will, that's not part of my plan. I've got you right here in the palm of my hand, and no weapon the enemy throws at you can prosper because you are in the middle of my will. All of those things got started for us way back on day two of creation. And when an elementary age child asks you, why is the sky blue? They're setting you up to be able to give them a view of the universe and a view of the creator of the universe so that they can start to understand how the world works and who our God is. Day one, God creates the colors black and white when he calls light out of darkness. Day two, God creates the color blue when he creates the sky. And then on day three, God creates the color green when he makes land and makes vegetation to appear on the land. And when you get asked the quintessential question, which came first? Look, I'm looking at the price of eggs in the supermarket and it starts to look like something is going wrong here. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? There's a very easy answer to this question. What is it? Okay, well, the Bible, day three, is going to answer this question for you. And for those of you who are not in some kind of a life group right now, I wish you could come sit in on mine. Because the kind of questions that we're answering right now about the origins of the universe are big, they're profound. But what's even more beautiful is the way that people are feeling comfortable enough just this past Wednesday to start to open up and share some of their deepest and biggest challenges of life. We're on the opposite side of the hemispheres. We're on opposite continents. And people are going really, really deep with one another. Because the God of the universe is knitting souls. He's gathering souls together, even over thousands of kilometers. So day three of creation picks up in verse nine. And here's what the Bible says. Then God said, let the waters under the sky, the word sky is God's word for the heavens, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, thank you, and God gathered all of the waters and he called them seas. Now God is separating water from land from sky. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth bearing with it or bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. Would you just humor me and say this word seed out loud? Seed. It's a really, really important word in the book of Genesis. And so is this phrase, according to their kinds. In fact, almost all that we know about biology and the way the world works is touched by this phrase. Let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, 
This is the third day. By the third day, you start to have the brown earth appearing. By the third day, you start to have the green vegetation appearing. And the theological implications of what the Bible is saying right now are huge. But the biological implications are even bigger. If you were to spend the rest of your life studying the universe, you couldn't exhaust what day three of creation is saying and all that it implies about the world that we live in. It's huge for the way that you understand the world, the way that a four-year-old mind sees the world. You see, there really is an answer to this question. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? When you read day three of creation, from Genesis chapter 1, it's pretty obvious. Which is it? The chicken came first. Very obviously, the chicken came first. Because God is starting to gather stuff together. And the word gather that the Bible is using here is like playing with Legos and stacking Legos on top of themselves to create something. God has gathered the Legos together day two. Now he starts to stack the Legos together day three. And now he's going to start making stuff like the sky above us, the land that we're on, and the sea that's separated from the land. And he puts a barrier there. Spoiler alert. He's doing this for a reason. He's gathering and he's creating and he's separating for the crowning masterpiece of Genesis chapter 1. It's not the land itself. It's not the animals. It's not the birds. It's not the fish. It's humans. When he creates this, this is the reason why all of the rest of it exists. It all exists to glorify God. But this creature, humans that I place in the middle of the garden, nothing will bring me glory like men and women will. God makes some vegetation to appear. And the vegetation start to grow on this third day of creation. And according to the Bible, they do two things. They produce seeds and they grow according to their kind. Both words, both phrases, very, very important. The producing seeds basically says that when God created that stuff on day three, he made trees so that they would drop of seed into the ground, and that seed would create another tree, which would drop a seed into the ground, which would create another tree, which would drop a seed in the ground. You see where I'm going with this? By the way, when God created trees and bushes, he made seeds that would create more trees and bushes according to their kind. I'll tell you about that in just a second. He also created, Genesis chapter 2, moms and dads that would create, exact same word, seeds that would become future moms and dads. And you can read the Bible for the first time in your life, and you don't need to know anything about God or Jesus. You cannot miss that he creates Christians, and he expects Christians to create more Christians according to their kind. By the time you get to the New Testament, Jesus uses this analogy. There was a rich man who gave some money to one of his servants, and that servant buried it in the ground and didn't create more seeds with that money. And when the servant came and gave an account to the master for the money, the master said, get out of my sight, you wicked servant. You know that seeds are supposed to produce more and you didn't produce anything with it. You buried it on the ground and you sat on top of it. And God is just saying, Trees produce trees, people produce people, and Christians produce more Christians. That's the way that it's supposed to go. But they produce it according to their kind. 
Now, true story. When I have a conversation with people that are far from Jesus, I rarely ever get into evolution, especially atheistic evolution, the kind of Charles Darwin evolution. I found that when people start to enter into the conversation, when they start to bring that argument up, it's because they're getting very uncomfortable and they're looking for a fight. They don't want to get honest anymore. Now they just want to fight with me. And I don't want to fight with you. I just want to answer honest questions. So when I'm explaining the good news, I almost never enter into this conversation unless you're really honest. And then we'll talk about it. And they'll ask questions about creation and evolution. Listen, don't misquote me on Twitter today. But I tell them, of course I believe in both. Of course there's creation, and of course there's evolution. Just not the kind of evolution that you might have read about in a middle school science textbook. You see, microevolution says that stuff changes and evolves and adapts to its environment. God created us, and God created animals and plants and birds and fish so that it would adapt to a changing environment. That's microevolution. That's beautiful. It actually honors and exalts God. The idea of Darwinian macroevolution, that all of it came from the Big Bang. I want to ask, well, where did this stuff from the Big Bang come from? But it misses day three of creation. See, on day three of creation... God says, fig trees don't produce blueberries. Blueberry bushes produce blueberries. And fig trees produce figs according to their kind. And go back and look at all of human history. You will not find anywhere in all of human history the complete fossil record of one species becoming another species. I'm not just talking about the idiots out there that believe, and I really believe you're an idiot, that believes humans came from apes. There's absolutely no fossil record that can prove this, but it flies in the face of what we're reading in Genesis chapter 1, that God created apes according to their kind. He created people according to their kind. And although apes evolve and people evolve, there's no fossil record of apes becoming people, the entire record, because it didn't happen. And a simple just looking at the way the universe works, there is no record of any species anywhere going from one kind to the next because God separated the kinds. He separated one species from the next. And one species may evolve. It should evolve. That's actually a good thing. But it will never evolve into an entirely another species. This is the problem of Darwinian evolution. You see, here's what the Bible is saying. What God did on day three of creation is he put order and predictability into the universe. And all of the sciences are built around some degree of order and some degree of predictability. Actually, the Bible says it's good the way God created things. And scientists they, they use order and predictability to understand how the world works. All sciences would fall in on themselves if it wasn't for the order and the predictability that God put into day three of creation. This is beautiful. This is God-exalting. He wove into DNA. He wove into the DNA of the universe the way that stuff works around us. 
And let me tell you what evil has done to the human brain. We have taken the good gift of God that he wove into the universe and we distorted it and started to use it as a weapon against God to argue that there is no God and that we all evolved from very simple species that all came from one simple amoeba. And it's our way of saying, I don't like the idea of there being a God who owns everything and therefore gets to call the shots on everything. And so we run from that idea. Keep this in mind when you go to the produce aisle of your supermarket. Those fruits and vegetables that you see, they're there because God created day three in such a way that a blueberry bush produces blueberries and a fig tree produces figs and they keep producing it all the way until 2023. But this is why this question is so huge. When a, small, when a, a child is asking, wait a second, a chicken comes from an egg and an egg comes from a chicken, and no matter how expensive eggs get in the United States, they have to come from chickens. Did the chickens just go on strike and stop laying eggs? Why are eggs so expensive right now? They're not asking that question. Which comes from an egg, which comes from a chicken, which comes from an egg, which comes first? And they're really struggling with this. And honestly, if you were very frank with a child, you would say, that's not as easy of a question to answer as you would, you would have to admit. So I want to pose it to you this way. Stay with me for a second. This question is huge for your understanding of the universe. Let's say that you and I are watching day three of creation. Let's say you and I are there when God makes the plants grow and causes the trees to go. And let's say that we're around at the end of day three when God pronounces that everything is good. You still with me? Okay, and at the end of day three, one single 24-hour period, I'm convinced we're talking one 24-hour period, God leaves the Garden of Eden, and we come in with a chainsaw, and we cut down one of his trees. You still with me? Does that tree that we just cut down have rings? The answer to this question influences everything that you believe about the way that the universe works. If that tree has rings, then maybe this universe isn't billions upon billions of years old. Maybe God just created it fully grown. And it all looks on day three exactly like it's supposed to look. And it just happens to look like it's billions of years old. Because he created fully grown chickens and fully matured trees that have the ability to drop seeds on day three. And create more trees and more chickens. Do you see how huge this question just became? Because if I cut a tree down on day three and it has rings, maybe that solar system isn't hundreds of billions of light years away. Maybe it's actually only about 10,000 years old and God just made the light show up on day four and day five. And what I read when I read day three of creation takes me back to one of my favorite children's stories. Most of you that know me know I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. C.S. Lewis was a brilliant English uh, scholar. He was actually a militant 
hardened atheist teaching, Ox- teaching English at Oxford University when Jesus reached down and radically saved him. And Lewis immediately felt the need to start to explain things to people like him who didn't understand how the world works. He started to explain Christianity, the basics, the mere elements of Christianity to adults when he wrote the book, Mere Christianity. Lewis had a niece that was eight years old. And Lewis tried to figure out, how do I explain the basics of Christianity to an eight-year-old girl? So Lewis sat down and started writing a series of children's books. Parents, if your children are young, read them the entire seven-volume series from the Chronicles of Narnia. Because Lewis writes his first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, writes several other books. And when he gets to book six, he realizes, you know what? There's a part of the story that's missing. I need to explain to my niece where Narnia came from. So on his sixth book, Lewis goes back and writes the prequel, book one of the series, a book called The Magician's Nephew. When I read Genesis chapter one, I cannot get The Magician's Nephew out of my mind. Because here's what Lewis describes. The only character that shows up in all seven books is the great lion, Aslan. You and I, using Bible language, would refer to him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is Jesus walking on the earth he created. And in book one, the magician's nephew, this magician's nephew ends up in Narnia before Narnia is created. He gets a seat to watch in the gallery as Aslan, this is the language that C.S. Lewis calls, sings into creation, Narnia. And in one day, the mountains show up. In one day, the trees appear. In one day, the seas and the sky and the earth and the land, it's all there. And the only reason it's there is because of the breath of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what Lewis is really describing for the eight-year-old mind is why the sky is blue and which came first, the chicken or the egg. Lewis wants you to know that what came before the chicken and the egg is the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And everything that we see around you, it's good and it works the way that it works because the one who created it also created you. And he loves you. And he hasn't forgot about you. And what C.S. Lewis is doing for his eight-year-old niece is explaining the profound things of the universe to an eight-year-old mind and helping her to see just how big this world is, which means just how humongous the creator of this world must be. And I hope some of you right now are sitting there thinking to yourself, wow, I need to remind myself that the Holy Spirit of the living God is still at work in his creation, that he still cares for me. In fact, what I need is for him, the Holy Spirit, to show me the goodness of God this week because it's been a really rough week and I'm struggling. And in just a second, I'm going to pray for you. 
But maybe somebody is listening to my voice right now and it's the moment that the light bulb came on for you and what you're reeling is, realizing is I need Aslan, the great lion. I need the lion of the tribe of Judah to recreate my dead heart because I can't fix the problems in my life and I can't undo my mistakes. I need somebody who can do for me what I can't do for myself. So in just a second, I'm going to pray that God would be very powerful and very real in your heart right now. So would you just bow your heads? We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.